Hey, this is Romancing the Zone, a podcast about a podcast about boys playing tabletop games. I'm Brittany Bailey. I'm Ann Kern. And I'm Emily Cardamus. Let's roll. Oh, it's a 20! Nice! I'm not making that up! Oh, fantastic. No joke, my heart is like going right now. That was great. <laughs> I thought I was going to beef it. That might have been our, is that our first 20? I think it might have been. No, we've had a 20 before. Did we have a 20 before? Nell rolled a 20 before. Uh, how quickly I forget. <laughs> it goes so fast. All right. So this week we've changed things up just a little bit. Uh, our dear, well, my dear sister and dear friend, Nell Bailey, can't be here. She's got a whole lot of stuff going on right now. and All good stuff. All good stuff, yes. Like, we wish she could be here, but we understand why, and it's, it's very good. So we've got our guest host here, Emily Cardamus. Hello. <laughs> I don't know how else to say. Um, <laughs> can I, can I introduce you? I, I'm going to introduce you as a famous, celebrated fan artist. Can I okay. do that? That's fine. And so she's going to share her theories, thoughts, queries with us. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. I love the way you guys talk about the show. And I just, when Anne asked me to, to be on, I was very excited. And I'm also a little nervous. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you rolled a 20, so we should be totally fine. Right. It yeah. should be like good energy. Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. So at the very beginning, we've got the boys kind of hashing out their theories, what they think is important to remember. They say that they really think that the glove is important. And I love Justin saying that if it's not Liam, I don't, I got nothing. I have no ideas. <laughs> I also really wanted to hear, they like hinted at this long, what sounded like a long standing family feud about Clint yes. just being able to guess everything. <laughs> and I really want to know more about that, especially in reference to Clue, because that was cut off uh-huh. very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you that I am that person in my family, and I understand. Like, I, I've been there, and I think my family would not want to talk about it either. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you when you're watching the, you know, the beginning of a Poirot episode, and you just go, huh. And then they're like, what? And you won't tell them. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. I do wonder if he really did know. If Clint really had it from episode two, mm. like, oh. I got this sorted. I'll play the game, but I know what's happening. If he did, he didn't say anything. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Griffin has a theory. Justin more or less has a theory. But but Griffin was also extremely suspicious of Travis just overall, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. And he just assumed uh-huh. that Travis was setting him up in some way. I do that all the time in my gaming group where the DM is having, and I just give him a lot of side eye and like, but it you're doing this because you want us to do it or that's what you want us to think and there's just no trust between players and dms or gms or master of ceremonies or whatever things are there's a lot of side eye going on at these tables so we should probably talk about that we did ask our listeners to give us some thoughts in two different ways we either said you can send theories which some people did and we also had a poll last week which was admittedly a little bit rigged uh, since the answers to <laughs> who do you think the murderer is were Anne with an E and Anne without an E. And I'm not sure if I'm pleased or horrified to announce that the overwhelming <laughs> winner was Anne with an E at 68%. <laughs> Yay! Yay, everybody thinks I'm a killer. That's the one I voted for. 
Before we move on with their investigation, I wanted to share some interesting listener theories before they become irrelevant when we all know who was actually the murderer. <laughs> uh, it's always the most fun stage, right, is when you're thinking, I wonder who it could be. I love I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So SLJ at SSB SLJ on Twitter thought that the Banshee possessed both Dylan and Jeremiah to manipulate them into this scenario happening. Uh, Melody Collison at Mini Kui on Twitter thought that it was going to be somebody out there and accused Marcus, who she was referring to as Nick Cage or the guardian of root beers, <laughs> who is Wilder, but uh, recently changed it to Anne and Liam being in a secret relationship and plotting the murder together. That's so good. Yeah, I thought that was a fun one. We did have at least one person, Hydration Quest at Papillon Voleur on Twitter, who said that she was suspicious of the sheriff and also the priest. So we had a lot of we had a lot of good theories. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys so much for sharing with us. That was really fun. So now at the beginning of the gameplay, we've got our party breaking into the sheriff's house. Mm-hmm. Now, so they go to the house. How do they know the key? I know that the note said, don't trust Connors. But how would they know the key goes into the house if they didn't use it to get into the house? Well, they, they had an address. And I think if somebody gives you an address and a house key, and then... Oh, yeah. I didn't... Okay. I'm not I'm not sure how they knew that it was the sheriff's house necessarily, but I think maybe since Errol is semi-local that he... Yeah, I think Errol probably knew that was the sheriff's house. Though that is a really good point. I didn't even really realize till right now that no one used that key at all. Yeah, they didn't really need it. Because <laughs> Errol just stayed outside the whole time. Yeah, I mean, they, they were doing, like, magical Mission Impossible for no apparent reason. <laughs> With Gandhi <Right>. tele- <laughs> teleporting in and, and Gus just being like, what's up, I'm a ghost, I don't need any of this. <laughs> Anytime Gus does anything ghost-related, it is just, like, patently hilarious. It is. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, I float through the wall. And I was just in stitches every single time. Especially the mental image of him being inside, waving like... Hi. <laughs> yeah, hello. Well, and as they're talking, like, well, Gandhi, can't you do this? And Gus is like, I'll just do it. Like, just <laughs> yeah. watch me go. Before we get too far into the actual plot of the episode, I do want to point out the not at all subtle Magic Tavern reference that Travis drops earlier. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for being our, our well, I mean, not resi- not only resident Magic Tavern fan, because that is right. also me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I had to pause the episode and just, like, compose myself. <laughs> so did I. I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> so for someone who isn't a Magic Tavern listener yet, I will say yet, what is, I know it's the, oh yeah, baby, or... That was that was a very good impression. <laughs> yes, that was a very good... I'm good at impressions. <laughs> What is it though? Is that like what the DM does? Is it well? Ma- Magic Tavern is 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 uh, similar to Adventure Zone in in many ways, but it is not a live play podcast. It is an improv podcast. So it's it's set okay. in a D and D like fantasy realm, but there's well there is some gaming in it, but that's inside of the fictional universe. So in their gameplay, their uh-huh. their D and D is called Offices and Bosses. Uh, so they play Earth as uh-huh. their fantasy realm. But yeah, the the oh yeah baby is which I can't do at all. Um, <laughs> that that is uh, the catchphrase of one of the co-hosts of the podcast, Chant the Shapeshifter, who is a badger at the moment. Of course, typically a badger, like probably ninety percent of the time, badger. Gotcha. So back in the sheriff's house, 
we see a lot of little remnants of his past. We've got newspaper clippings, like you do. I always keep all my old heroics <laughs> clipped up and like laid out so everyone can see whenever they break into my home. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I have a I have a poster board uh, on my one of my one walls <laughs> that just like has all of my like achievements and then just abruptly ends. <laughs> And that's when it all went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fair, like, kind of video game style detective work for Clint to say, well, which one is the last newspaper clipping to try to figure out what happened? But it would be absolutely insane for you to hang up, like, in a uh-huh. nice little frame, the newspaper clipping of whatever horrible thing had happened that it destroyed your career. And then I got fired because I let 12 people die. Oh, no. And I want to say, going back to my original supposition, that I don't think Travis is that great at making up names. He just calls the big city the big city with two G's and two Y's. So I think I was right. I think that's just not his strong suit. He's got a lot of them. Name creation, not one of them. And that's okay. If he was too perfect, he'd be intimidating. That's that's the deal. you got to have some weaknesses, you know. It's, it's all right. Right. Spread it around. Yeah, so I actually thought that this particular portion of the episode got weirdly creepy because they're they're I mean it which is cool I'm, I'm I'm into creepy but they're in this dark house you know snooping the, in the sheriff's business and then uh Gus decides to do his let it out move to see if there's any other sources of magic in the house and they determine that in fact there's one source of magic and then one really really powerful source of magic upstairs that they go to investigate when they go upstairs, they discover this shrine that the sheriff has, which is apparently normal if you're if you're in the law to a demon called Limdafell. But he hasn't been using his shrine, and the book is very unsettlingly burned out from the inside, which does not seem like a good sign of your relationship with your deity. Was that something that was established? Because the fact that the law is sort of in service to a demonic entity. It gave me, like, really big Blades in the Dark vibes. Uh, It's a different tabletop RPG, but I just, like... I don't remember that being established, so it was just like, oh, yeah, and by the way, the people who are kind of the Wild West sheriffs are, you know, worshipping a demon. (laughs) Yeah, Travis mentioned it very briefly in either the first or second episode when they talk to the sheriff, and and he explains that the, the sheriff has sort of enhanced senses, and that the law is is contracted with with some sort of demonic force. Oh, it, okay, admittedly, okay. it's it's a, a demon that believes in order, right? Yeah, power through order. Yeah, yeah. I just completely missed that. I mean, if you're gonna worship a demon, that would be the one to go with, I right? <laughs> I do like. I want to jump back just a second. That just before Gus goes upstairs, Travis cuts back to Errol on the street. Just ask, like, you know, how are things going out there? And just is like, are you kidding me? But that's exactly what happens in TV shows. Like, you yeah. gotta pull that I, I, suspension out. It's just like, what's gonna, oh, cut to. And like, no, I don't care what's happening here. Yeah, I, I think Justin even says, like, are you getting B-roll right yes, now? He does. Like, um, and I even made a note of it that I love the visual image of, like, Gandy and Gus just, like, messing around in the house and sort of getting into danger, and Errol's just, like, outside. Like, maybe, like, periodically a light flashes, and uh-huh. he's like, what's that? Like... <laughs> well, and I I was thinking, I think it was actually a really good move for them to do that, because he could keep the eye out if the sheriff comes or if anybody else mm-hmm, sees things. Mm-hmm. He could kind of explain it away or, you know, warn them, oh, guys, it's time to go. I also thought it would have been interesting if they'd broken the party up and Errol had gone and mm. to distract the sheriff. Yeah. So there's no way he would have showed up. 
That would have just been a neat way to do it, too. So we've got Gus upstairs, Gandy upstairs, Errol outside (laughs) B-rolling. And this is where probably my favorite part of the episode came about. (laughs) When Gandy very intelligently and heroically says, don't open. Because Gus says, like, do you want me to just pop in there? Do you want to open there? Do you want me to pop in? And she says, hold on. If there's a magical force in there, it could hurt you too. So let me cast this. So Gandy cast shielding to protect them from the supernatural presence in the closet. And it worked. (laughs) Clint, finally, the curse has been lifted and he starts ascending to the heavens. And there's a glow about him. And, oh, my God, that was just the best moment in this whole arc, I'd say. Like, <laughs> Yeah, even the, like, that's it, everybody. That's the last episode of The Adventure Zone. <laughs> we made it. This whole time, it was just, Goodbye, it was just Clint McElroy's redemption arc as a magic user. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he made it. It was so, like, such a good move, though, on his part, for, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean... If if you're if you if the DM tells you that there's some incredibly powerful magical force emanating from a closet, good yeah. move, good move, Clinton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before you open that door, definitely be prepared. And there we find another shrine, a well-used shrine to Omdefell, Limdefell's brother. Which I don't know if those are real names. Not but... that I've ever heard of. Yeah, Again. I think he made those up. Yeah. Well, and I know the names of deities and whatnot in these games are always kind of goofy, but the fact that they're brothers and they like... Anyway. Um, so Omtafel is power through chaos. And that is less great for a law person to have, Yeah, I think, this is... this is a, You can't really say that it's the dark side necessarily, but it's sort of the even darker side, maybe, that he's he's working for this guy. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, when they do open the book, because this is completely Gandhi's jam, and of course she wants to open the book and find out what's inside, they do confirm that Omdefel gave the sheriff the order to stop this deal between the workers and the other two families at, at any cost. Yeah, we also get like another really great Gus moment of... Of Travis being like, hey, here's the book. You can open it. And Gus is just like, goodbye. <laughs> Starts floating back down through the floor. Oh, no. I'm falling like, through oh, the floor. Oh, no. It's happening again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like for the character that oh, is, so is meant to be, that it was sort of initially uh, portrayed as like not really a likable character mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Gus is the funniest and one of the most poignant characters in the whole mini arc. It's it's kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, and who would have expected that a ghost in an audio show would be really good at physical comedy? Right. right. Extremely right. unlikely. It's got all that prop comedy. Ghosts excel at it. <laughs> <laughs> so they find the book that has the writing in it and... Uh, I, I love the fact at this point, there's also the comment about Gandhi being a dollar store of magical artifacts because she just keeps pulling <laughs> stuff out that does magic stuff. Just jingling around. Um, but they both, you know, sort of the, the town is starting to stir and who starts to approach the, the house but uh, Connors himself um, right as Gandhi and Gus leave the house with the book. Kind of like, hey, so we know what's going on now. I wonder if he, because he left the station totally unmanned. Right. 
Because when they get there, no one's there. So do you think, like, he was kind of, someone opened my book. I know this. And and I think there's kind of a, like, previously, Travis makes a comment about, like, a security system on the house where he Mm -hmm. doesn't, like, he wouldn't have known who did something or what, but I'm sure there was some sort of, like, magic that was sort of like a, like, you get a text on your phone, it's like, hey, your alarm was set off, or (laughs) magical Uh ring. I was going to say it's magical (laughs) ring. (laughs) <laughs> nice nice product integration there from the Mac yeah. yeah I mean I, I think that they they plan to get around the alarm system but we don't know for sure that they actually did because this is mm-hmm. a world with all of these magical entities it seems like maybe your tripwire would work on ghosts who knows there might be a way to make that happen or if somebody uses magic to teleport into your house that you would still know Yeah. so I think it's believable that, that something tipped him off Mm-hmm. And I honestly thought that they were about to have like a high noon showdown in the street when, when the sheriff mm-hmm. showed up. I was surprised how resigned he was. Like, yeah, okay, you got me. Let's go back to the station <laughs> yeah, and yeah. talk about it. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would have gone with them. But I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I know we have to move the story forward. Well, they were the superior force, I guess. That's true. <laughs> I do appreciate Errol's like comment of like under like realizing it's like mm, maybe attacking the sheriff of the town in daylight, well, almost daylight in the middle of the street in front of his house <laughs> might not be the best look. Yeah, that's true. In terms true. of optics, well, and, and Errol certainly had a, a previous experience with something like this happening in a street and a bunch of people popping out and asking right. what was going on. So, <laughs> right, he may have been a little extra gun shy in that in that uh, in that respect. And there's no there's no bells. There were no bells I on the street did, yeah. with, with uh, Connor's house. So, <laughs> like, if there's no bells, I'm useless. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, good dig at yourself. So yeah, they head back to the jail and sort of do a very classic, like, let's disarm all of, like, let's, like, put all our guns on the table sort of thing so we can have a clear conversation about this. Except Errol, who is smart enough to recognize that when the villain is monologuing, you should probably remain armed. Uh Uh-huh. Right, right. Um, Including Gus putting his spectral cashews (laughs) on the table. (laughs) Which, of course, prompted another Magic Tavern yes. reference. So, thanks, Justin. <laughs> and here my notes just get very editorial because I was just angry. Um, because basically, so, so Connor starts monologuing, starts explaining his, his whole deal of sort of how he was a young beat cop, um, witnessed corruption within the law, and sort of, I guess, long story short, tried to take matters into his own hands. P.S. Has anyone ever heard an actual human talk about themselves in the third person like that? Like, let me tell you a story about a girl. A girl who <laughs> yeah. started a podcast. And I was that girl. Like, Because <laughs> yeah, I, I think Errol's immediately like, that's you, right? Or maybe it was Gus. I'm not sure. But it was like, we're talking, we're talking about you, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's a, a fair point, but he's also the sort of person who, because he, he gives them this, this whole story about how he's convinced that if the town has any bureaucracy at all, that that leads to red tape and that red tape by default leads to, leads to corruption, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of jumping some fences in between that something that would be good for the town that he might as well just kind of murder somebody and then frame an innocent townsperson because that would probably be a better solution than 
paperwork, I guess, is maybe what he was afraid of. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. I feel like I, I lost my understanding in here where it seemed like I actually wrote uh, Connors has Munchausen's where like I'd rather the town be in distress and need me than for it to have taxes and a government like yeah, yeah. It, it definitely got a little weird right at the end and I and I really appreciated Errol as like kind of a politician starting to have a con like almost starting to level with him and have a conversation and then he cuts himself off at the pass uh-huh. of being like why are we having this conversation you killed a kid in the street like that uh-huh. is yeah not a discussion we're having that was such a good Errol moment it and was. I oh, I love it Errol had some great moments in here. Just absolute, like, You would moments. vote for him as your werewolf president? Oh, I already have. He's my <laughs> next writer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a good way to interrupt this train of thought, which was admittedly a little unclear. But when you think about it, I think the sheriff is afraid of losing the power that he has over the town, that it's sort of ostensibly... I need to protect these people. But by the time you get to, I need to protect these people by hurting them, it's really about protecting Mm -hmm. yourself, it seems like. And Errol Mm -hmm. saying that he doesn't accept that concept of justice is is a very mature and clear response to this really crazy line of thought, but an understandable one that somebody might have. Yeah. Yeah, it's like throughout his monologue, you can see it sort of... Like, if Connors' monologue is just like a line it starts off it's like okay i kind of get where you're going at with like you you want to protect the town you have all this stuff and then it just like completely nose dives and you're like oh no mm, this is no this is bad uh-huh. <laughs> this is less good now. you you've taken a turn for the worse my friend you have <laughs> screwed up <laughs> in a really bad way yeah i think this was definitely the moment to to pull his gun on errol's part mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then we get to the fight time, and this is where I always personally miss D&D style fights, uh, mostly because I understand them. Mm. That's the platform I used to play, so I get the numbers, I get jazzed about it, I'm very excited to hear what they roll and how they failed or succeeded, and I just tend to find these uh, less engaging. It does give them a lot more room to come up with unusual solutions to the problem, since what happens in the very beginning of this fight is that Augustus just decides to distract the bad guy with his spectral cashews, which I'm not sure you could do in D&D. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> and his spectral cashews <laughs> that become non-spectral as he you does. <laughs> are they an extension? Are they, are they of him? Like, right. he is so connected to the cashew company and the cashew trees that they are just a part of him. I must assume. Yeah. I mean, they're they're operating on the the exact same rules because he does say that they they become invisible when he's invisible and material when he's material. So he's throwing mm-hmm. like physical at this point spectral ghost cashews that are also invisible, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> I mean, and and as Griffin points out, the concept of this guy having infinite ghost cashews is like a cold fusion level breakthrough in physics. Right. Right. <laughs> And then also Gus flinging Gandhi's glasses off of her face. Well, he doesn't in order fling to them. also like to be. He takes. Oh, he them. just takes them. Oh, okay. I couldn't. I wasn't this sure. This is if my it was favorite throw. mechanic. Okay. Oh no, when a ghostly figure 
will take something and then run away with it. And then yeah. that's all you that's how you know he left. <laughs> Suddenly the glasses are out the door. Okay. We hope. I a part of me was like, I hope he just knows these are worth some money and I'm gonna get I just away. also imagine Gandhi being like, What the like I I need those. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope they're not prescription. <laughs> so yeah, Gus Gus get gone. He leaves pretty quick. Oh, actually, oh, okay. I just made that connection that I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I just made the connection of the of that moment to the bit at the end because before I couldn't, I didn't understand how, sorry, I don't mean to completely derail. <laughs> I just had like, I just had an epiphany here because, okay. <laughs> it's that D20 working for you. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get, we get a lot of fighting. Um, Errol you know, attempts to push Gandhi out of the way of, of a bullet and ends up taking the bullet, um, but because he's... Hold a on. Big... No. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> this is amazing. This... Let me... Let me just talk about my werewolf president for just a minute. So, we've got our demon. Connors has turned into a demon at this point. He's got gun pointed at Gandhi, knife pointed at Errol, and... That just takes the shot at Gandhi and Errol in his heroic, amazing wolfiness dives in front of her to take the bullet. Like, I, he's not trying to push her away. He is, he's bodyguarding the shit out of this. Takes the bullet, <laughs> falls to the ground, and I'm assuming this is all playing in, like, one steady stream, mm -hmm. turns to the cell where I, okay, in my brain... <laughs> Again, once my sweet baby Dylan hears that Connor's killed Jeremiah, he turns. He starts getting up. Eyes are shifting. Body getting bigger. He's shifting. Teeth getting longer. And just... So Errol, on the ground, turns, looks at the cell, sees this hulking werewolf, takes a shot at the lock, and here comes the wolf. Oh, my God. What an amazing scene that was never played in a TV show, but I see it so well. <laughs> Is that not what you guys saw? More or less. It was a beautiful turn of events, yes. <laughs> and I, I also really enjoyed Griffin asking if he could take a uh -huh. bullet, like if that was a thing yeah. he could do, and Travis saying, you can do whatever the fuck you want, son, which is what I want Like on the back of my tabletop <laughs> game when I buy it. I want it to say that. <laughs> I, I wrote that down verbatim because that turn of phrase just... Tickled me. <laughs> so Dylan dramatically bursts out of his cage, and he's the one and who... And he's doing he just pins, fine. This is incredibly, incredibly dramatic bit of justice that he pins this guy to the wall, and he asks for mercy, and he says no. Yeah. And, and, and he, he does the bad guy in. But I have to ask you guys, I'm a little bit conflicted, and I'm curious uh -huh. how you felt that the climax of this battle is kind of not interactive at that point, because even though Griffin's action as a player allowed this to happen, the finishing move is done by an NPC. And while I think it works fantastically well for the story, I'm curious how you felt, because there has to be this gameplay element in this podcast as well, did mm -hmm. you feel at all bothered by it happening by NPC. I definitely took a note of that because I didn't have a problem with it being done by an NPC. I was a little bothered that Travis didn't give any opportunity for anyone to intervene 
Because I feel like, you know, Errol would have stopped it from happening or maybe, you know, like Gandhi or someone would have mm-hmm. not tried to reason to to make sure he didn't die. But something at least have some mm-hmm. sort of say or willingly say, yeah, let him do it. Uh, I, right. I think that was the only, you know, hang up for me is that I kind of wish there was that like pause moment like what do you guys want to do and then Uh continue the scene or not continue the scene yeah no i think that's a really good point yeah i mean because you could argue that it was sort of like effectively this dylan coming out of the cage was errol's move Mm -hmm. that you know and it's not that much different than firing off magic missile that once it's left your hands you you don't have a lot of control over what happens but i agree with you i think maybe just that one small change of there being a moment when they have an opportunity if they choose to intervene and say, we do think you should be merciful or we do think you should finish him. It would have given them a little bit more agency than just Mm -hmm. like, and I'm not saying again, it worked narratively. The movie in my brain was beautiful, but it did take away from the gameplay element. And I think that's, that's railroading, right? Maybe a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Like it has to go this way. Yeah. Although, I mean, I ha- I also give Travis a lot of credit for the fact that he effectively murders himself in this scene, and you don't think about that aspect at all no. when you're listening to it. You never yeah. think about the fact that he's doing both voices at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, from from an acting standpoint, from a dramatically presenting this as a as an MC standpoint, he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just this sort of like slight niggling should that have been a little tiny bit different yeah if i picture that scene sort of like a cut scene in like a video game or something it's almost like mm-hmm. it's almost like i wish we had sort of like a i guess like an until dawn moment where like someone could have made like an a or b choice of like say this mm-hmm. or say that or say nothing and mm-hmm. like i think even just that little moment would have made me feel right. a little bit better uh but like overall i don't think it's like the worst thing in the world but it's just no, like no, oh, right. that little that would have been like no, a nice just, little I, addition. I felt it was, I felt it was worth discussing because right. I, I oh, didn't definitely. know whether it was it was just me or no. I'm glad you brought it and up. And I think that is always the the line that they're walking. That's it's a really difficult but fascinating position to be in of trying to choose between making something interactive and making it interesting. Right. Well, and mm-hmm. those two choices are sometimes at cross purposes. It's like, do you want to make good radio or do you want to make a good game? Uh-huh. And sometimes one wins. And I wonder if Travis was just getting so excited. That like, you know, we're nearing yeah. the end, this is happening. It just kinda like maybe he had planned to give it that moment and then just like went for it instead. He's mm-hmm. having such a good time acting. I think it's incredibly apparent how attached Travis is to these characters and this world that he that it was very fully realized for him and and that certainly plays to the audience as well, yeah. I think. It makes it better for us that he cares so much about I, it. I definitely really mm-hmm. and, and I know Travis has said like he wants to do another the the adventure zone zone. Um but I, I definitely really want to hear it because I feel like there's a lot about this world that we didn't get to see, which is sometimes okay, Mm -hmm. because even just knowing that someone knows those details and those details Uh exist, even if you don't get them, makes that world feel more real. But, like, I really want to, like, hear Travis talk about this world because it seems like he put so much time and so much uh, effort into really fleshing it out. Mm-hmm. Aside from Big City, aside from Big Big the Cat City, <laughs> he, he gets a, he gets a pass on that. <laughs> Not for me, he doesn't. Travis, get better at making up city names. So yeah, then it's over. We got Errol keeping Dylan angry so he can survive mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. horrible knife wound that is the um, kind of an OP dagger. It's 
got the please, uh, please nerf. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> but that was that was very quick thinking on Errol slash Griffin's part yes. to know you know he's stronger yeah. as a werewolf. Keep him keep him shifted, and he might make it through this. And I do wonder again if he hadn't done that, would Dylan have died? It seems like a tragic end, complete tragic end to this was a, a likely possible scenario mm-hmm. if, if he hadn't made that choice. And, and he made that choice feeding off of Travis slipping us this additional piece of werewolf lore that it's extremely difficult for them to transform at certain times and it takes this immense oh, yeah. emotional energy and passion to do it. Which it was, I mean, I, I did enjoy that. I thought that was cool lore and it certainly once makes me want to hear more about this. Mm-hmm. It was almost frustrating to have that be in the last episode and be like, oh, no, wait, but also right. I have questions. Yeah. There's so many <laughs> I questions. I want to follow that line so of thought. So many questions still. Again, vampires. What? I need to, I have no idea where he's going <laughs> with the, with them fangs. Because they all showed up at dawn. Right. Hey guys, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> What's everyone, all happening here? Yeah, everyone shows up at the jail, including uh, everyone. Deputy, Deputy <laughs> Rosa, who's <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> This is this is a rest of I the leave cast. for five minutes. Bow, like everyone shows up there. Well, I mean, I think the gunshot probably right. tipped them off. I don't. Okay, no, it's not werewolf roaring noises. I'm yeah. gonna argue with this. So Rosa was bringing Joseph and Tommy, right? Right. Yeah. The black so horse. they make sense. Mm-hmm. They make sense to be there. Abigail shows up. Makes sense to be there, coming to make sure her baby's okay. I'm going to say it. (laughs) Anne shows up. (laughs) Who told her? Who let her out of the house? I still don't trust this girl. (laughs) I know that it was solved and she's not the murderer. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Why was she there? I feel so continuously called out by by this character existing in this arc. But yeah, and I mean, she, it's a good point. Why I don't know why really she makes sense to be there. Michael, yeah, shows it doesn't up, completely make sense. sense. He's an angel. He knows. Hey, there's a dead body. Yeah. Gonna gonna yeah. get that. Um, she's I think the only you one. could argue that. I think you could argue that she was there because having now had a good night's sleep, I guess she uh, <laughs> she knew. I mean, she knew her brother was in prison. She knew that everything was, was going to pop off at dawn. So I think she was probably coming at that point to presumably try to intervene and not like watch his public hanging or whatever right. they were going to do. No, I think she'd just watch it. I don't know. I don't know what it is about Anne. And sorry, I do wish she had a different name now because I feel a lot of like, a lot of distrust, a lot of side eye to this human named Anne. No, I agree. And we don't, we don't honestly know for sure that she doesn't have some kind of ulterior motive. We have unanswered questions at the end here. Whole bunch. And Gus shows up. Bringing with him our favorite puppet, our favorite creepy-ass puppet, (laughs) Uncle Oni. And what does he bring to the table, this Uncle Oni? I mean, basically, they wind up taking a corruption point just so they don't have to do exposition. (laughs) But but having, (laughs) having Uncle Oni project this confession on the side of the jail, it does 
cut to the mm-hmm. you know cut to the chase with telling the townspeople what had happened in a way that they couldn't possibly argue with because they have the confession on tape effectively so everybody knows that this is the truth and that they trusted the wrong dude apparently this was also the moment before where i finally made that connection because when this even though i listened to the episode <laughs> twice i was sitting here going like where did uncle oni come from and why did the what's going on how did this happen like i'll accept it oh girl but- <laughs> Justin McElroy was, yeah, was two the moves whole ahead time. of me the whole time. <laughs> See, and I listened to it three times, but every time I blank out about what Uncle Oni did. I knew how he got there. <laughs> I understood the whole glasses thing, but I was like, what's he doing? Anyway, and like, next right. part, and I don't, I would even like backtrack to listen to it. And this has happened to me before where I think my brain just goes fuzzy. It's some kind of void fish situation where some things are just not allowed to stay in there. I don't know. Well, I'm glad that they brought him back in and that he, I mean, he did oh, do something too. useful. And they, But they brought, I mean, we would have all flipped tables, right? If they had established this fantastic character. And then in the last episode, it's kind of like, well, you didn't right. really ever do that much. But uh-huh. okay. <laughs> and they'd moved on. I'm glad that, that he got to come back yeah, also, in Also, Gus's just dedication to introducing himself with his full name. And Errol's <laughs> like, he's bleeding out. Like, that just... <laughs> I could be speeding along, please. And then there's a touching scene with Joseph and Anne where they hug. Joseph seems very cavalier about his son being just murdered also. I don't trust any of these guys. I don't know. Joseph, again, I, for having his kid just murdered. You, just, you don't trust anybody, do you, Brittany? I don't. We know who the murderer was. We know his motive. He's dead. And you're still like, I just don't trust any of y'all. <laughs> this town is kind of shifty. I don't know. But it does end with Joseph hiring the three of them to go into Crescent City to find his daughter. Cut to Crescent City. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Isabella Slate, fresh off her last seminar, going into probably an underground lair, I'm guessing. And we don't see the person she's talking to, but we recognize the voice when they ask... What did you get off of? Was it what did you get? What did, off what did of you candy? pull from, from the pull from Gandhi, which I thought was an interesting okay. turn of phrase. And since we were talking about vampire lore that we don't really know about, pulled from in the context uh-huh. of her having fed, sort of makes you wonder: Oh, is there some kind of information transfer right. when you feed on somebody? Like having fed and the whole mind wipe that yeah, happens. so some kind of psychic connection there makes make does actually make sense. Hmm. Super spooky. That was a great ending. I don't know. Like, that was a really good way to end it. Although now we're all extremely mad right. that it's over. <laughs> Which right. is good, but mm-hmm. also bad. So what were your thoughts? Final thoughts? How'd the murder go? <laughs> so how was the murder? No, I definitely had, like, I, I was I was definitely tentative about the uh, when the arc was, like, initially described. Because... I don't know, like, I mean, I'm kind of wary about anytime anyone describes anything as, like, ooh, dark and gritty, but it, it really surprised me with how much I really liked uh-huh. it, um, and especially at the end, like, I think there's a lot of questions I still have about the world that I want answered. Like, I definitely could, like, see this being, like, maybe not um, a full... Oh, like full huge storyline like balance was but I, I i can almost see it as like a serialized like 
case book sort of situation where it's like we sort of follow them follow the group of them on like a case by case thing and they might connect but i could i could see it sort of being like in between a larger arc uh in like the format Mm -hmm, uh versus something like I, i feel like when i walked away from amnesty i was like oh this could be like episodes like like 20 10 you know episodes long this feels like right. it's like yeah. nice in like these little like chunks of a mystery. It was it was really I think right. a really interesting way to present a story. And I think Travis did an amazing job. Yeah, I agree that it it's it's very well set up like a detective story that you can do things even not chronologically. I mean, you could do a story that was before this one or right. after this one or bounce around in time and it would still it would still function. It doesn't have to be like an ongoing build because the Banshee can be this sort of like Moriarty character who sort of keeps popping up in the shadows but isn't necessarily directly moving an arc forward in the way that an ongoing story, mm-hmm. consistent story might. So I do hope that they have the opportunity to revisit it. I think that's the problem. And also I really <laughs> love Gus. Right. Is that I want I want so much more from each of these arcs. And I think that's the whole point of it, obviously, is to figure out what jives with them, what jives with the listeners, what play style works the best mm-hmm. for the narration. Yeah, and they've all all of them have left us wanting. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That's exactly what you want to do. Yeah, I mean I think that they've they've absolutely succeeded with every experimental arc. Um, not always in the same way. Uh, some elements Definitely. have been stronger than others, for sure, and like internally within each mm-hmm. arc. But I think every time they've they've improved how fast we bond with the characters, how interested we become in the worlds. I think that the gameplay they've been ma- able to tailor it better and better to the way that they want to play and the way that they want to present a story. So I, I mean, I think it's, I'm still really grateful to be here for the experimentation that this wasn't something that they just said, we're going to go off and record this, but we're not going to air it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to show it to you guys because I think they could have mm-hmm. realistically made that choice. But I mean, I, I like being able to see a few rough edges and honestly, there have been very few. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, I, I definitely right. like being able to listen to these experimental arcs and, and sort of how they grow because you can also hear each of them be really thoughtful with uh, how they build their characters and how they portray their characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really awesome thing to be able to hear because they're making not only deliberate you know, character choices in terms of personality and how this character would react, but also just like character choices in terms of, you know, diversity, like very deliberate choices. And and mm-hmm. I think that's really awesome to be able to sort of see that grow. Yeah. I mean, cause they're, they've had so many opportunities to make mm-hmm. safe choices and they've, they've never made safe choices. Uh-huh. I mean, I think coming into this and I, I wouldn't have been disappointed if they had, but the pitch was sort of like, well, it's the Wild West, but with vampires and werewolves. And I'm kind of like, well, I sort of know where you're coming from with that. It's it's maybe in terms of lore, you're not going to have to do as much building, but they didn't, Travis really didn't use that much of right. anything that was familiar. It was really just kind of the window dressing and he filled in everything else and he didn't have to do that. He made the choice to do that. And I think it made it mm-hmm. much more engaging, but I was definitely surprised by it. I don't think I have anything to add. I really want to find out what happens with Gus's cash. Now I'm invested. I want to know if he's going to solve the energy crisis right. in this alternate world. So much left to know. I want to know anything about vampires. Travis, why have I you think, left me hanging? I definitely feel like so I was like the whole time I'm like, I want to know how magic works in this world. Because I think for some reason, as 
Um, and maybe it's just because I know Clint has talked about, like, Doctor Strange and stuff before. I was definitely picturing, like, mm-hmm. that sort of aesthetic anytime Gandhi did anything magical. But I want to know, yeah. like, what is the source of magic in this? Why does magic exist in this Wild West world? Like, give me reasons. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gandhi could have her own, like, Doctor Strange-style right. spinoff, honestly, of her exploring and trying to find, you know, different artifacts and getting into scrapes with various magical entities. There's a lot of room for play mm-hmm. with her character as well. Well, we need the prequel yeah. of her meeting Uncle Oni. Yeah, I would read that comic book. Just For sure. I would read that, Clinton. <laughs> Clinton, psst. When you're done with yeah. <laughs> Here There Be Gerblins got your next pitch well it's like indiana jones meets doctor strange but with an asian lady and i'm super down Mm -hmm. so we have to say goodbye to dust now as the arc has ended but before we say goodbye to our special guest host emily emily can you give us some info about where people can find you online uh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at Corrupted Gem. I do a comic uh, that updates every Friday called Steamed Veggies, which is steamedveggies.artfulhypothesis.com. And I also <laughs> do a, a podcast about uh, weapon history uh, with my co-host Liz Belts, and that's called The Audio Armory, which you can just find on podcatchers and things and iTunes. Sure. Uh, and thanks for having me, because this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate it. It was it was a blast. Hey, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Yeah, and I owe you a drink at C2E2 in Chicago, <laughs> where we are both going to be. I will be vending. Emily Emily is not, unfortunately, but I will be vending. I'm in the block. My booth number is 672, and I would love it if any listeners who are in town would come and say hello, and I will try to have some Taz giveaways for you guys with some buttons and stuff if you come by. Uh, so you're not obligated to buy anything. And if the uh, Trey Puppet Boys are there, they are absolutely available for selfies. Woo! And I will be in Barrow, Alaska, because, yeah, that's where I live. <laughs> so if you don't know where that is, you should Google it. You might be surprised. And that's going to do it for us this week. And while there's no new episode of Taz next week, there is going to be a special announcement. So what do you think it will be? We'll have a poll up on Twitter at Romancing Zone. Till then, thanks so much for listening. I'm Brittany Bailey. I'm Ann Kern. I'm Emily Cardamus. And we've been Romancing the Zone.